Thanks, Sarah. Morning, everyone. Let me just drop this down. Well, how's everyone doing? Good. A few murmurs are good. That's great. If you haven't met me, my name's Tim. Uh, you will get the far longer, less colourful version of this story now. Uh, my wife did an excellent job explaining that before, but unfortunately, I don't have any props. So I'm sorry about that. Please don't uh, compare me too harshly to her. Uh, but how about I pray for us now that uh, the longer version will also encourage us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word in John chapter 9. Thank you that uh, we see Jesus having compassion on this man and healing him. Thank you that Jesus reveals who he is to this man. I pray that now as we dig into it, you would help us to confront our own blindness and our own sin and our own rejection of Jesus so that we might let go of that, come back to him, trust him all the more. Amen. Well, I've, uh, I've always needed glasses, um, so much so that I wear them so often that when I take them off, people are like, geez, Tim, you look weird without glasses, so don't let me freak you out for too long. I've always needed glasses. Ever since I was a little boy, I needed glasses. I um, gave my parents a lot of grief with glasses when I was a little kid. I uh, had a bad habit of breaking every single pair they bought. It got to the point where it was so bad that there was always a pair of glasses at the shop getting repaired. And so every weekend, my parents would go to the shop, they'd give them my broken pair of glasses, receive the fixed pair of glasses, and then I'd go and break them that week and we'd do it week in, week out. It, it was really bad. I hated wearing them. It was just so frustrating for my parents. And so eventually we all just kind of just gave up and left it, uh, and, you know. I wasn't, like, running out into traffic because I couldn't see cars and things, so they're like, you know, he's fine. So, so all through school, no glasses, got to high school, was all right. But by the time I got to uh, year 11, year 12, uh, I realised that I couldn't see what everyone else was seeing. You know, when the teacher would write on the board, I thought they weren't actually writing. I couldn't see anything on the board. Um, you know, I couldn't see anything further than my hand in front of me, so... I'd almost always like be this close to catching the bus home because I could never see the route number on the bus as it was coming up until it was like right there. I was like, oh, that's my one, and I'd have to run for it. So, so I decided maybe I should give glasses a try again. Went to the optometrist, they did their thing, and they're like, all right, Tim, you've got what's called an astigmatism and you're short-sighted. I didn't know what either of those things meant, and they said, Tim, your eye's not quite round enough and it's too big. I'm like, okay. I don't know if that's right or not, but it sounds, you know, if you're going to fix it, whatever. They gave me a pair of glasses and my whole life changed. You know, it was, it was like gaining a superpower overnight. All of a sudden I could see things. They were crisp, they were clear. I noticed that the teachers were actually writing on the board. It's just that the pen line was so out of focus for me. I couldn't see anything. Um, so, you know, I could pay attention at school. I, I, I could see things uh, further away. You know, missing my bus was... The past Tim, glasses Tim never missed his bus, things like that. It completely changed how I saw the whole world. Now, that was a far cry from being blind from birth, right? I imagine what this man went through was about 10,000 times more amazing than that. But just putting on a pair of glasses changed how I saw the whole world. It made such a difference. And in this passage, this man, born blind, is far worse but he received sight. But on a 
deeper level in this passage. He doesn't just receive the ability to see the world around him. Jesus actually shows us a spiritual sight and a spiritual blindness. Look at verse 39 with me. It's it's really helpful for you to have your Bibles open. It's a bit of a long passage, so I'm going to be referring to different bits in it. So come with me to almost at the end, verse 39. Let me read it for us. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Jesus isn't saying he's going to heal every blind person and every seeing person is going to like pluck out their eyes or something. He's talking about a spiritual sight and a spiritual blindness. And so that that raises two questions for me. I don't know if it raises two questions for you, but, you know, I'm the one up here, so I get to choose the questions to answer. So so the questions I have are, well, what is spiritual sight and blindness? What, what, What do those things mean? And then how do we get spiritual sight and avoid spiritual blindness? Because I assume that spiritual sight is better than spiritual blindness. So that's what we're going to see in John chapter 9 today. What is spiritual sight and blindness and how might we have spiritual sight? And Jesus healing this man, it's not the whole story. Really, it's just a setting. It's just the background on which this whole interrogation and discussion and discovery takes place. And so, uh, we're going to see this man take a journey from blindness to sight, both physically and spiritually. And as we do that, we'll, we'll come to see what spiritual sight is and just why we need it. So, let's, let's jump straight in and explore what is spiritual sight. What, what does it mean to be spiritually seeing or spiritually blind? Well, we can find out by comparing two groups of people, the man who was born blind and the Pharisees, you know, green and red, if if I'm going to steal some props. We're going to compare these guys. So let's start with the man born blind. He he was blind for a long time, right? He's of age, so uh, he's at least, you know, at least a teenager, but maybe a bit older than that. So he's been blind for a long time, never been able to see, nothing. Then he experiences something amazing, one day, a man comes along. We don't, we don't know if he knows who Jesus is or not. We just Jesus comes upon this man and does his thing and heals him. Does what only God can do. Restore sight to the blind. The blind man says it himself. No one has ever done that before. It's unheard of. Yet Jesus is able to do it. And so now he has physical sight. He can see his mum and dad. He can see his friends, his neighbours. He can see where he's walking. He can see the food he eats. He can see the trees. He can see the skies. He can see colour. Things that he'd never experienced before. All of a sudden, because of Jesus' compassion and mercy, he's able to see them and experience them. His whole life has been changed in a few moments. And he tries to make sense of of his experience. And he goes on this journey, as he gets interrogated by various people, he goes on this journey of understanding. He knows that only God could do this kind of thing. He knows that only God could be behind him being healed. And he knows that God doesn't listen to sinners. He says it as he kind of lectures the Pharisees later on. We know that God only listens to godly people, not sinners. And so I think pretty quickly he figures out, Jesus must be from God. He he, he gets that the person who healed him must have some connection, relationship to God who can do this. 
And from that starting point, he begins to grow in his understanding. Think of it like a graph where he starts down the bottom with no understanding and, and he keeps moving up and up towards true understanding. So, so at first he's, he's trying to make sense of who Jesus might be and they say, who do you think this guy is? And he's like, I think maybe he's a prophet. It's probably the best category he could think of at that point. Like, you know, he's from God, he has his power. Oh, he's probably a prophet. And as time goes on in verse 27, he kind of indicates that Jesus is actually someone who's worth following. So he says to the Pharisees, do you want to become his disciples too? As if he is already considered and decided to become a follower of Jesus and a disciple. And then in verse 35, he finally sees Jesus for the first time. Because remember, Jesus sent him away to be healed. And he was healed when he washed in the pool. So he has never seen Jesus before. Jesus comes to him. And Jesus tells him who he really is. So look at verse 35 with me. That's the wrong page. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This man has gone from a journey of no physical sight and no understanding of Jesus to being able to see the world, but his eyes are fixed on Jesus, the Son of Man. The Son of Man who, Daniel 7 tells us, can approach the throne of God. Daniel 7 tells us that he will judge the world. This man has been given spiritual sight because he sees who Jesus really is. He understands what Jesus has come to do and that's what spiritual sight is. Seeing Jesus, knowing who he really is. Not just a man, not just a teacher, not just a miracle worker, not just a prophet. He's the son of man. He's the son of God who has come to seek and save the lost. Now, the Pharisees go on a very different journey. While the man goes uh, and his understanding increases over time, the Pharisees, they get more closed off to Jesus over time, so that in the end, they completely reject him. At first, they're divided about what's going on. So, look with me at verse 13. They've... uh, Called this, they've received this man and they're, they're interrogating him and questioning him. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. So there, Jesus had already broken two of their rules. He's healed in a non-life-threatening situation and by making mud, he's probably needed the mud. And that's, that's a big no-no. So he's already broken two of their rules. Verse 15, Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. He healed and needed. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They're having this debate that they can't quite make sense of the facts. Okay, so Jesus has broken our laws. So, we know that he can't be from God because 
No one breaks God's laws who, who's on God's side and, and who's sent from God. But on the other hand, he has done what only God could possibly do. How do we reconcile those two things? But they just really can't get over the fact that Jesus broke the law. It becomes the, the kind of overriding factor for them. That they're so unwilling to believe that this man was really healed because Jesus broke the law. And so they don't believe Jesus healed him. They, they, they just ignore it and, until they get the parents in. And the parents say, yes, this really was our son. He really was blind. And somehow he really can see. But they just can't put those two pieces together. And so they shut down to the possibility that they might be wrong. And instead, they deny Jesus. It gets to the point where they just toss this man out of the synagogue, which is huge in a religious society like theirs. To be thrown out of the synagogue was to be thrown out of the community. They rejected Jesus despite all evidence in front of them. And so they're spiritually blind. They don't see who Jesus really is. They see him as a lawbreaker, not the son of man. That's what spiritual blindness is. It's the opposite of spiritual sight. Spiritual blindness is not seeing who Jesus really is. Spiritual sight is seeing who Jesus really is. And the Pharisees are blinded. So we've seen what spiritual sight and blindness is. Understanding who Jesus is, not understanding who Jesus is. But now there's a new question. Why do the Pharisees the religious leaders, the guys who studied the Bible, who knew it back to front, who wanted to love and obey and honour God in all that they do, why are they the ones who are blind to Jesus? It kind of doesn't make much sense. Out of everyone, you'd expect the religious leaders to recognise God sent one. But they don't. Why is that? What has made them blind? Because I think as we dig into this question we will see that there are things in our life that will make us blind to Jesus if we don't keep them in check. So here's the thing that blinds the Pharisees. They are blinded by their religion. They are blinded by their religion. Let me explain what I mean. The Pharisees were law keepers. That was their big deal. They kept the law to the T. We saw a few weeks ago, oh no, maybe this was an impact, not in church, uh, there's, a, there's a part in Luke where we see that the Pharisees, that they keep the law so much that they give one-tenth of everything they have, including the leaves of the herbs that they grow. They give a tenth of them to God. That's how much they followed the law, to the letter. And when I say religion, they're blinded by their religion. I mean they're blinded by their law-keeping to be right with God because that's what they thought their law-keeping would do. If they keep the law, God would accept them. God would have them. Follow the rules, obey the commands, complete the rituals, you'll be fine with God. That's the Pharisees. That's religion. Look at verse 27 with me. He answered, that is the man, I've told you already, you did not listen. What, do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. 
That's the deal with the Pharisees. They are disciples of Moses. That's their identity. And Moses, if you remember, is the one who gave God's law to Israel. In Exodus 20, which which we read earlier, the Pharisees uh, received those commands through the generations preceding them. They received those ten commands and they lived their life by them, obeying them, never breaking them. And so that's why they call themselves disciples of Moses, because they obey the law that Moses handed down to them. They made obedience to the law the single most important thing in their lives. But they'd forgotten the context in which Moses gave them the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 2, the very verse before the first commandment is given, the closest context to the commands says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Obedience to the law was only ever based on God's grace and mercy to rescue Israel. It was a response to being saved. Yet the Pharisees have twisted at that law. They've changed it and and, uh, ruined it by saying, this law is how we are saved. Not a response to salvation, but the way to salvation. The Pharisees have twisted it, they've changed it, and they've completely turned it on its head. Imagine a household with a teenager in it. Some of you don't have to imagine that. But imagine that the teenager in the household is the absolute perfect member of the household, right? They obey every rule. They go out of their way to serve in any possible way in the house. So, you know, they cook dinners four times a week and they clean the dishes afterwards without complaining. They don't just do their washing, they do everyone's washing. They hang it out, they bring it back in, they clean the house. When they borrow the car, they return it with a full tank of petrol, which, you know, costs a fair bit nowadays. And then they wash the car as well, just to make sure it's uh, spotless. They contribute over and above to the running of the house. But they have no relationship with their parents. They never talk to them. They're cold towards them. Never showing any affection. They're obedient, yes, but they have no relationship. That's the Pharisees. They are obedient to the letter of the law. So obedient that they added laws around the laws so that they wouldn't even get close to breaking the laws. But they have no relationship with God, no real relationship. They are so focused on their obedience and their law keeping that they actually expected God sent one to be a law keeper, not to be the law giver. Because that's who Jesus is, he's the law giver. He can reinterpret the law. He, He can show what the true purpose of the law is. In fact, he fulfills the law. So when Jesus breaks, not God's rules about the Sabbath, but the Pharisees' rules about the Sabbath, he hasn't done anything wrong, but he has transgressed them. And so they completely miss who he is. They they completely miss Jesus because they expected him to be the law keeper when he's in fact the law giver and the law fulfiller. And so they refuse Jesus They think they have spiritual sight. They they think they can see. Don't don't you see? Man born blind, don't you see? He broke the law, how could he be from God? We know. We know the scriptures. We know the law. 
We know who we're expecting and that's not him. They think they can see, but they are blind, blinded by their religion, by their law-keeping. And so here's what we need to learn from the Pharisees. Religion will blind us to Jesus. Religion blinds us to Jesus. Religion, when it is the things I do to make myself acceptable to God, will blind us to Jesus. They thought their obedience could save them, so why would they need Jesus to do that? And when we think our obedience and our goodness and the things that we do mean that God would accept us, what use do we have for Jesus? And so we end up, too, blinded by religion. Now, there's a warning in here for those who don't yet know Jesus, right? It's not about what you do, it's about who Jesus is and what he's done. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. But, but I want to pause and, and bring the warning to those of us who already know Jesus. Because we are in danger, too, of being blinded by religion. Just because we've put our trust in Jesus doesn't mean that this isn't a danger for us anymore. In fact, the danger changes and becomes less obvious and more insidious. The, the more we, or the longer we go on following Jesus, the more I think we're in the danger of falling into a functional trust in religion. What do I mean by functional trust? I mean, yes, we, we know that we're saved by grace. We know Jesus has done it all and we say that, we might even teach that, kids church at Impact or Growth Group or wherever. But the reality of our relationship with God, the reality of our relationship with Jesus is actually based on what we do, not on what Jesus has done. Now, I must confess, this is especially a temptation for me as a pastor. You guys have so graciously freed my time up so that I might serve God and serve you with every moment of my life. And that is such a great blessing and such a great joy, but it comes with such a great danger because... I might start seeing my worth in how I serve. I might begin to think that the reason God loves me and accepts me is because of the things I do among us, because I get to stand up here and speak so well and eloquently and in such an engaging way that you all give me rounds of applause when I sit down. I don't think I'm going to fall into that danger too soon. But those chuckles, right? Yeah. Uh, it is a danger for me, and so I need a guard against it, but I too often slip into giving into that temptation. And so I also need to repent of it constantly. I need to be on guard against it constantly. But I'm not the only one in danger. I'm not the only one in danger. If you are here and you focus more on what you do as a Christian than who you are in Jesus then you might be functionally religious and that will slowly blind you to Jesus. Slowly over time, more and more, you will come to trust in the fact that you're a growth group leader or a kids' church teacher or you're in the band or, or you do sounds or you help with welcoming. Over time, you'll trust in those things more than in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. Those things are a wonderful way for you to serve as part of this body. But we do that in response to Jesus who saves. We don't trust in those things to make us Christian. Functional religion will blind us to grace because we'll begin to think we're good enough, that we've done enough, and we'll forget the grace that has saved us, just like the Pharisees did. So that that is the warning we need to take away from the Pharisees. 
That is the thing we need to guard against. But what's the cure to it? If we've slipped into there, or or if we want to guard against it, what do we do? Well, we don't do anything, right? That's the point. But but how do we... How do we break free from religion and have spiritual sight in all this? Well, we need to come once again to the man born blind because his journey shows us what we need to do. What what did the man do to get healed? Nothing. Jesus came across him. The disciples asked a question about him and Jesus showed God's work and power through him. Yes, the man went to the pool to wash, but that wasn't, the washing wasn't what healed him. That was more of an act of trusting in the one who had the power to heal him. God healed him. Jesus healed him. He just did what he was told. And then at the end of the account, Jesus returns and reveals to him that he's the Son of Man, the glorious one, the figure who approaches the throne in glory, the one who will come and judge the living and the dead. Jesus reveals that to him. The man doesn't figure that out for himself. He, he grows in his understanding as he reasons with the Pharisees, or rather, he probably gets yelled at by the Pharisees, but he grows in understanding, but he doesn't land on Jesus is the Son of Man until Jesus comes and says, I am the Son of Man. His healing and his insight were given to him by grace. Jesus was gracious in giving him physical and spiritual sight. But grace can be hard to accept. We don't like grace. Because deep down we know in this world there's no such thing as a free lunch. We think grace actually doesn't exist, right? If you kind of dig into anything that might be free in our super capitalistic world, you actually kind of find that we're being sold stuff or we're being sold ourselves, right? You go to the supermarket, get a free sample of cheese because they want you to buy that block of cheese. You know, you get a free clicky pen from some company with their business name and website on them because they want you to go, oh, these guys make great clicky pens. I wonder if whatever else they make is great too. Or, you know, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or or whatever, uh, you don't pay for that platform. And what, what do people say about that? If you don't pay for the product, you are the product. Your your data's being sold and stuff like that. We know nothing's free. We know there's always fine print. And so it's really hard for us to actually believe in grace. We're so sceptical of it. Not to mention that grace actually conflicts with our pride. We're sceptical of it, but also we don't want it. We don't want a free handout. We don't want to be told we're not good enough. We're religious by default. That's the normal way of thinking. We we, we live a life that shows that what we do matters. And we don't want to think that what we do doesn't matter, that doesn't count for anything. You know, every single religion is based on a system of what you do. Jews have their law. Muslims have their five pillars. Buddhists and Hindus have karma. They're all about the things that you do. But grace says we have nothing to contribute to our eternal destiny. There is nothing we could possibly give. Who has given to the Lord that he would repay? We can't save ourselves, but Jesus has done it for us. And the antidote to our religion lies in the cross where Jesus has died for us and done what we could not do so that we might be saved. 
Now that hurts our pride. Tim, you can't do it. I know you think you can, but you can't and you need to let that go. That hurts our pride. But here's the thing. Grace frees us from religion. The burden of religion is heavy. It is really heavy. Do you feel it? The burden of being good enough, being good enough at work, being good enough spouse or parent or son or daughter or friend or Christian. Grace sets us free from that. Grace says you don't have to be good enough, you can't be good enough, but Jesus is good enough for you. In fact, Jesus is perfect on your behalf. On the cross, Jesus has freed us from religion. Jesus has done what we could not do. He's taken the full force of our failures onto himself so that we might be freed from the need to perform. And when we're freed from religion, by the grace of Jesus, then we can have spiritual sight. Then we'll no longer be blinded by trying to perform and trying to do and having no need for Jesus. We'll be free to see who Jesus really is, our Saviour, the Son of Man, God himself. And so today, whether you follow Jesus or not, we all need to come back to the cross and accept that grace. It's not about being at church every week. It's not about being at growth group every week. It's not about teaching in kids' church. It's not about whatever it is we might think it's about. It's not about that. It's about Jesus on the cross for me, for you. And so it means we need to own up to our own inability to achieve. We need to own up to our own inability to save ourselves. We need to be humble. But when we do, we're freed from the burden of religion and we gain spiritual sight. Let me finish with this. Our response to grace is then worship. What happens when the man finally sees who Jesus really is? Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Once he'd received his spiritual sight, once he saw who Jesus really is, once he had experienced grace in its fullness, he worships. He sees the beauty and glory of Jesus who has given him sight, who has set him free from the burden of religion, and he worships him. Now, if we truly get grace, worship will come naturally to us. I spent a long time last week talking about worship. We're not going to talk about what it is again this week. If you want to catch up on it, you can check it out last week. But there are lots of ways to worship. In a moment, we're going to sing together. If you've experienced the grace of Jesus, won't you join me in singing, in belting it out, so that we can all hear one another And when we hear one another, we are reminded that we're a community of grace because we hear everyone who has experienced grace. So I'm going to pray in a second. Then would you join me in worshipping our great God? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that through John chapter 9, you've shown us what spiritual sight is and that you've given us the means to have it in your son, Jesus. Father, would we put religion aside? Would we say no to trying to achieve and perform, to impress you, to be right with you, to have a relationship with you? But would we come to Jesus in humility, 
accepting we can't do it, but that Jesus has done it so that we might be saved. And Father, would our response be worshipping in our whole lives, every moment of every day lived in worship. But Father, would we worship right here, right now in this community. Amen.